What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. In this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Bill Toro. This is actually going to be a two-part episode. Bill cut the show Glow, and he cut it with Tanya Swirling. This episode, I'm interviewing Bill, and next episode, I'm interviewing Tanya, and we're going to discuss the editing of Glow. This episode was cut by Carly McKeating, and with all that said, here's my interview with Bill Toro. Well, I guess my first question would be, you know, I've noticed looking at your work that you've worked with Genji since Weeds. So I'm wondering what it is about this relationship that keeps you coming back and keeps you energized and excited. Yeah, I mean, I I realized that earlier this year I had a milestone. I had worked with Genji for 12 years, uh, as you say, starting on Weeds in uh, season two. And I've been really fortunate to be associated with her because of the kinds of series that she does. I mean, they're thought provoking and they're funny and they're genre bending and they defy classification and they're smart and the actors are good and it's everything I ever wanted to do. And I remember when I first started working on Weeds and I was a, I'm a, I remain a huge fan of Mary Louise Parker's work thinking this is exactly the kind of thing I want to do. And it's also just good people. We work very hard in this business and I like going to work every day and knowing I'm going to see these faces and hear these voices because we like each other. <laughs> and that's pretty cool too. Now you cut the pilot for Glow. Yes. And so I'm wondering, because cutting a pilot is a very important role in that you're sort of creating a new structure for this show and working with the creators to get the show the way that it's going to sort of set the standard for the rest of the series. So I'm wondering, how did you tackle cutting the pilot? But also, was there anything that came up that you and the creators needed to change or alter to get this show to work so well? Um, I mean, I think I just, I attended some pre-production meetings, and of course I had read the script, and I had also worked with Carly Minch on Weeds. Uh, That was the connection there. So I knew her, and I really enjoyed uh, talking to her and Liz, and when they wanted me to work on their pilot. I was actually working on Orange is the New Black on season five, and Genji Cohen essentially led me to them (laughs) to do the pilot, and then when I finished the pilot, I went back to working on season five. What was really nice about it was it was all fresh and new and exciting, and I just dug into the material, and one of the things that was immediately apparent to me was that these actors had become these characters. I mean, I will sing the praises of Alison Brie uh, to the rooftops. She is just an amazingly accomplished actress. You could use any take of hers, I think, and yet they, they would all be different in little ways and all very alive and in the moment. And I think Mark Maron's performance and Betty Gilpin's performance, too, were, for me, revelations. And all of the people who were less well-known, I think, came together as an ensemble. But... I really approached this because the pilot is much more Ruth's story. And I think she's the one who opens the window for us into the world of glow. And I just wanted to stay with her through the whole thing. And it's, it is revealed in the course of the pilot that she is a very flawed person who does uh, in particular betrays her friend, Debbie played by Betty Gilpin. And yet I don't think we ever reach a point where we don't want to see what she's going to do next and how she and Debbie will get back together in some way, shape or form, which is where uh, a lot of the rest of that season went. 
Now, you mentioned Alison Brie giving you so much in the performance. And one of the things that I find challenging as an editor is when you get something like that, like a really solid performance, is trying to choose the best take. (laughs) So how did you go about choosing the takes to figure out, you know, which one would work best and craft the performance in a particular way? Was there a lot of change to that or did it stay pretty similar throughout? There really wasn't that much change. I mean, I think when you're editing, you're editing with your heart and your head. And I think I respond often to intangible things, you know, uh, a flickering look on an actor's face or just uh, the particular cadence of a line. And I tend to, I mean, I've been editing for 25 years now, and I tend to trust that impulse that says, oh, that's golden. And there really were not very many changes from the editor's cut through to the final version. The biggest challenge was really that there was a lot of good material and we ended up at 37 minutes, I think the version that aired. But there was a process of winnowing away, not so much that Netflix was saying you need to come in at a certain uh, time because that really wasn't an issue. I think it was just that the producers were aiming to leave the audience wanting more, which is of course what the audience should be feeling in a pilot, especially. The hardest part for me is that I think it's 37 minutes now, but there was a great, you know, 47 minute version. There was a great 50 minute version. And there are things that, you know, necessarily had to come out that I think we all felt a bit sad about, but it was all in the service of making the pilot lean. And as I said, making sure the audience leaving them wanting more. Mm hmm. In the same sort of area, the tone is very interesting in the series, because as you mentioned, with the previous projects you worked on, like Orange is the New Black or Weeds, there's some comedy in it, but it's also a drama, and it sort of defies the rules, I guess you could say, of the various genres. So when you're working on a project like Glow, how do you make sure that you set the tone properly for the various scenes, especially when it might be shifting between comedy and, and drama and changing up from scene to scene? It's a good question. I think I take my lead both from the script, which was making those transitions, I think, well on the page, but again, also from the actors who are navigating those transitions in their performance. And I don't think I approach, you know, say there's a scene that has some physical comedy and then suddenly something happens and there's a dramatic thing happening. I don't think I alter my editing process so much as I just keep tracking the story, which is pretty much always my mantra. Where is the heart of the scene? And where is the heart of every moment in the scene? And as you keep tracking that, especially with actors as good as these, you can make those transitions and the audience comes along for the ride. And I think the audience is willing to do that because in our lives, it's not as though we have dramatic days and comedic days. (laughs) (laughs) And I think oftentimes I know from my own experience that in dark moments of our lives, we will often break the tension with humor. And I think one of the things about the projects that Genji has created and now that Carly and Liz have created is they're really mirroring. I mean, it's heightened, but they're mirroring real life, which is that it's never just one thing. It's everything all mixed up. And I'm going back to what I said at the beginning, the association that I've had with Genji for 12 years. I'm grateful to not be put in that in a box. So you can do scenes that are really 
very moving. I mean, think about the ending of Glow. We go from Allison's character putting on this ridiculous homemade wrestling costume and bursting into the gym to, in an effort to impress Sam, uh, Mark Maron's character, to taking her back and reconsidering her to be a part of Glow. And we go from her silly presentation to suddenly Betty Gilpin's character. Uh, Debbie bursts in with her baby, having learned that she has been betrayed by by Ruth, who sleeps with her husband. And Betty gets the ring and, they, and confronts her, and suddenly she looks like she's going to just break down and cry, and it's just heartbreaking. And in the next minute, they're chasing each other around the ring, and the other women who are attempting to join the cast of Glow are joking about it, saying, is this real? Who the F cares? And, and I think that's one of the reasons Glow is, is a standout, because the audience takes that ride with these characters, and they feel... It feels real, (laughs) heightened, like I say, but the way people are reacting to things is the way we often react in real life. It's funny that you say that because that's one of my favorite sort of moments in the episode is where she's trying to convince, I think it's Sam, which is Mark Maron's character, that she's worth taking on. And there's this sort of running thing where she'll do something in the ring that's over the top, but everyone sort of sits there and it's this awkward moment for her. And I just loved how that played out humor-wise. Like you were saying, them running around, it gets this kind of weird, awkward feeling, but it's kind of really funny at the same time. And it's got this nice blend. Yes. It was an interesting scene to cut because you don't often get to show awkward. (laughs) That was a scene, I mean, really all scenes are like this, but the rhythms of that scene were really important to me, to, to have her do some silly tumble and stand up like a superhero and everyone's just kind of looking at her like, what are you, what are you all about here? And Sam is looking at her with an expression of, you know, that he's just perturbed that she's disrupted things. And all of those beats in that scene were really calculated. And I enjoyed, I really enjoyed editing that. You don't get to show someone flailing in a way that simultaneously you know, desperately sad and also really funny. (laughs) Well, and and it's just played so well on the reactions. That's what I loved about it. It's just, you know, going to Mark Maron, going to the other ladies and allowing them to reveal the humor behind it. It just worked really nicely. No, it was one of my favorite scenes to cut. And the subsequent part too, once Debbie, uh, Betty Gilpin's character comes in, you know, there's a tremendous turn. And one of the cool things about this pilot overall, and it's, I guess, sort of a theme in everything we've been talking about so far, was all the diverse things. I mean, from an editorial standpoint, and I'm sure the actors would say this too, and the other creative people behind making the show, was, you know, how many diverse aspects there were. You know, as an editor, I'm cutting comic dialogue, I'm cutting dramatic scenes, I'm cutting physical comedy. I'm cutting a big, you know, fantasy wrestling sequence, and that's all in 37 minutes. <laughs> it was a fun, fun time. I really enjoyed working on it. And this is based on the original Glow. So, how did that influence you as the editor? Well, I watched, you know, because it had been on Netflix, and I think actually that was the inspiration for Carly and Liz, you know, the documentary about it. And and I watched it. We approached the pilot very realistically. I mean, even the director of photography's work is beautiful. And Ruth's sort of downtrodden L.A. actress circa 1985 world in terms of, you know, her apartment, the aerobics 
place where she goes to work out when she is driving her Volkswagen rabbit up to the audition and all of that. It all plays very real. And I wasn't too influenced by the original documentary about the original show other than, you know, it reminded me, of course, I'm old enough that I've lived through the 80s. And we did sort of want to make sure that that flavor permeated the show but never to the extent that it didn't feel like a slice of life circa 1985. You know, there were, there were no editorial tricks that went back to, you know, I didn't do like any spins in and out of scenes <laughs> uh, <laughs> or anything that might have been, you know, had transitional effects, but that would have felt like dated 80s transitions or something. I didn't make any of those kinds of choices, and I don't think anyone thought them. And in fact, I remember... The DP, who I just mentioned, the only sort of out there lighting that he did is in the fantasy sequence where he used star filters and things, because that was, that's um, Sam, the director, uh, Mark Maron's character's uh, imagination. And the rest of it, I actually, I kind of like how grounded in reality as a period piece it was. I was wondering also, you've worked for broadcasters, but also for Netflix, so what would you say the difference is from an editorial stance between the two? I mean, uh, if you looked at my recent resume, I actually haven't worked for broadcast too much lately. I mean, I have. I think, and this is going to sound really mundane, but one of the delightful things about working for either you know Showtime or Netflix or HBO or what have you is you don't have to think in terms of act breaks. Things can play more like a movie. You're not having to constantly build to a kind of artificial cliffhanger that jumps right into a commercial. So you can jump back out of the commercials into, you know, the, the stained artificial cliffhanger to take you back into the series. And from a creative standpoint, that's tremendously freeing. And then just say nothing of the fact that, I mean, I know broadcast television has become more permissive in terms of the subjects and the language that they can use, but we really don't, you know, within reason, we don't really have any boundaries uh, at all, you know, so we can show people being human and talking the way people do. Now, I have one last question that I'd like to ask everyone I interview, and that's, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Oh, film? Uh, or television show? Well, I don't know how guilty I feel about it, but I, I think kind of my go-to thing that I like to do to sort of clear my head and sail away into a, a different part of my brain is to turn to classic movies. And if there's any guilty pleasure aspect to it, it's just because I can become completely immersed in a movie that I've seen 20 times. And I have, I'm a particular fan of, you know, like Warner Brothers movies from the 40s, you know, anything with Humphrey Bogart or Betty Davis. That's kind of my, my guilty pleasure comfort food the Hollywood studio factory films. Uh, recently, I've been watching the movies of Michael Curtiz because they've been running a whole uh, series and uh, there's a biography coming out about him and a, they did a tribute to his films, which sort of ran the gamut of genre and acting. And that's kind of my go-to thing is to see what might be on Turner Classic. It's a good option, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I find it very sustaining. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview. Oh, well, it was a pleasure. I'm happy to talk about Glow because it was such was a lot of fun. It was as fun to edit as I hope it feels when you watch it. And everyone involved in making it, they're just great people. So I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> so that was my interview with Bill. I'd like to thank Bill for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Carly for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.